We need to talk about the rule of law. A podcast by Verfassungsblock and Deutscher Anwaltsverein. We need to talk about public prosecutors. They decide whether a criminal suspect is investigated or not. They decide whether a person is indicted and whether there will be a trial or not. For a government which wants to replace the rule of law with its own political interest, prosecutors are the key. If you control them, you can both make your opponent's life miserable and make sure that your friends run free. How do you protect prosecutors from becoming a tool of partisan politics? On the other hand, how do you hold the government accountable if a criminal investigation goes awry? This is not an easy topic, and that's what we need to talk about, not just with respect to Romania, Bulgaria, and Poland, and so forth, but also to Germany and other EU member states, where the prosecution is, in fact, and always has been seen as part of the executive power and not of the judicial branch of government, and, at least in theory, does take orders from government businesses. My name is Max Steinmeis. You are listening to the fifth episode of We Need to Talk About the Rule of Law, the podcast by Verfassungsblock and Deutsche Anwaltverein. And once again, we have three distinguished guests to discuss these issues with. One is José Manuel Santos Paish, a high-ranking prosecutor from Portugal and the president of the Consultative Council of European Prosecutors at the Council of Europe. I also talked to Radosveta Vasilieva, a legal scholar from Bulgaria, living in the United Kingdom. And I talked to Thomas Groß, a professor of constitutional law at the University of Osnabrück in Germany. Hello and welcome. It's great to have you with us today. Radosveta Vasilieva, let's maybe start with some facts on the ground. In our rule of law podcast, we have talked a lot about Poland lately. We've talked a lot about Hungary. But we haven't talked so much yet about the country you come from, Bulgaria. So what, what is the situation with respect to the rule of law in general? And what is the role of the prosecution in it? Well, Bulgaria is a legal wonderland. Uh, as you know, I've uh, followed the rule of law decay in my country very closely. And certainly the prosecutor's office uh, is considered as one of the long-standing challenges before the country. And the emanation of these problems happened last summer in July when our prosecutor's office raided the presidency with armed forces and arrested two of the president's advisors. And this is the uh, key event that triggered mass protests that have continued for more than 100 days and they're still going on. So to constitutional lawyers, this was a violation of the principle of separation of powers and a violation of the principle of immunity from which the president benefits. The goal of the prosecutor's office was essentially a coup d'etat. He wanted to uh, present the president in a negative light and pave the way to, uh, to his impeachment, but uh, the plan backfired. And uh, in fact, because of this occasion, uh, people were now more aware of the long-standing uh, problems with this institution, namely the fact that it interprets its independence as uh, lack of accountability and the fact that it can serve as a puppet in the hands of the executive because of the particularities of Bulgaria's legal culture. Okay, so this was actually not so much a matter of the prosecution being too little independent, but rather a too independent prosecutor basically acting on his own accord. Is that it? 
Uh, well, not exactly. Bulgaria's case is quite specific because in theory, we have a prosecutor's office, which is independent because it's part of the judicial system. However, because of the structure and the excessive powers, it doesn't bear any liability for its actions or omissions. Meanwhile, uh, everything depends on uh, one person, on the general prosecutor who is elected in a very political manner. And that's because of the very particular setup of uh, the Supreme Judicial Council which is the body responsible for the election and appointment of all magistrates. And so his election was uh, entirely, uh, entirely dependent on the will of the executive in practice. Oh, I see. But, um, but the executive nevertheless can hide behind this structure and, and, and deny uh, responsibility for the actions of Absolutely, absolutely. And they do this all the time. We, meanwhile, Bulgaria is permanently shaken by scandals and leaked recordings. This is very typical, typical of Bulgaria. So we have even this year a few scandals where Mr. Borisov, our prime minister, uh, personally instructed uh, prosecutors who should be charged, even though this is a flagrant violation of the separation of powers in the past. And this is the maybe the biggest scandal in our recent history from 2015, uh, Yana Gate. I've written about it, but uh, this is a case where the general prosecutor and Mr. Borisov instructed senior judges how to decide cases. Um, Mr. Santos, as we said, in Bulgaria, the problem seems to be most of all that the government can hide behind the independence of the attorney general. And there is a lack of political accountability for his abuse of power. In other countries, the problem seems to be that there's too little independence um, and, and prosecutors are disciplined and threatened when they criticize the government. I'm thinking among many of the Romanian case of Laura Kovici, for example, who was sacked from her job as head of the anti-corruption office in Romania before she went on to become the first EU public prosecutor. Um, which case do you think is more typical as a symptom of authoritarianism? Too much or too little independence? Well, I think the... First, the, the problem of independence of prosecutors is a, a never settled problem. I mean, there's always temptation for governments to step in and try to restrain uh, prosecution independence in the countries. And there are already quite a number of them where the prosecution is indeed independent from the executive or the parliament. Uh, but there is a, a particular link to to the political parties with the appointment of the prosecutor general, which is normally either appointed by the, the government or appointed by the president under proposition of the government. And so this uh, idea of the selection of the prosecutor general really defines the kind of, of democracy or judicial system that you want to have. So uh, I would say there, there's a general trend today in Europe for greater autonomy of the public prosecution. And this is for governments necessarily a risk because governments are responsible for, for instance, for defining criminal policy. And of course, the public prosecution is a, a particular instrument to that effect. So to have a completely independent body, which is responsible for bringing cases to court is for governments quite uh, a difficult step to take. Now, the question is not so much the kind of independence that you have for the prosecution, 
but the fact that the prosecution have earned this independence for its work. So if the prosecution in itself deserves to be and is accountable for its independence, then public scrutiny demands from governments to stay away from interfering with the activity of the prosecution or indeed of the courts. Of course, there can be very subtle ways to do that, but the idea is to lay down several types of safeguards preventing external interference with the prosecution or sometimes even internal interference within the prosecution service. For instance, the fact that in many uh, prosecution services across Europe, you have a hierarchical organization means that uh, inferior prosecutors at a lower level will be responsible before uh, uh, higher standing prosecutors. But that does not mean necessarily that you must receive orders without any type of safeguards. For instance, you can demand your orders to be provided in writing. You can, uh, in many countries, you have the possibility of raise a problem of conscience when you uh, are convinced that the orders that you are being presented with are illegal and you can uh, object to abide by them and you can ask for your replacement. And also the question of, as you mentioned before, the possibility of setting disciplinary proceedings against refusing prosecutors. To have enough safeguards for the disciplinary proceedings to be taken by an independent body without interference by outside members would mean that the case will be dealt under only legal reasoning and not under political pressure. I see. Um, Professor Gross, do you agree in, in principle with what, what Mr. Shantosh uh, said? And if so, do you think that these safeguards with respect to Germany are basically in place? Well, in general, I'm in favor of independence of public prosecutors, but this is obviously contrary to our tradition in Germany um, and large parts of legal scholarship uh, and, and also governments uh, argue that uh, there's a democratic necessity uh, that a minister, the minister of justice, assumes responsibility for practically all decisions of public prosecutors. Also, in the same moment, practically all ministers of justice deny that they interfere with the work of, of the public prosecutor. So obviously there is no necessity to intervene in order to guarantee that decisions by uh, public prosecutors are taken in a legal way. So this is somewhat uh, a schizophrenic situation. Uh, and it could be solved, I argue, uh, in following, for example, Austria, which has put a new provision in, in the Constitution that the public prosecutors belong to the judiciary. Okay. So this schizophrenic uh, situation you mentioned, is this um, a result of basically... A structure which which works as long as it works that so far we have been lucky enough to never have experienced um, a minister of justice determined enough or with enough bad faith to really test the limits of this structure or is there something to be said for the argument um, that 
actually it is not politically rewarding within the political system of Germany to interfere and intervene too much into the prosecutorial procedures from the point of view of a politician who then will be held responsible for, for whichever outcome. We have very little information on the day-to-day -day work of, of the public prosecutors and only in rare cases uh, public opinion has uh, been informed uh, about problems in, in the office of the public prosecutors. But there are obviously some cases where there is either problematic intervention by the politic or problematic decisions uh, by public prosecutors. I can give you examples for both. Uh, for the first interference by politicians, there was a famous case five years ago when the Minister of Justice, then Heiko Maas, now Minister of Foreign Affairs, fired the Attorney General on the federal level because he, they disagreed on the handling of a case um, concerning the publication of uh, information, of, of secret information an um, internet platform had received. And, and the public prosecutor general or attorney general wanted to uh, prosecute this internet platform and the ministry gave a direction to forbid this and as the attorney general did not follow, he was fired. This is possible under the law of the civil service because he's considered as, we call it, a political civil servant. And is this necessarily a bad thing? I mean, um, in this case, in this particular case, but a large part of the of the public would, I guess, agree uh, that it was actually, uh, that we were kind of lucky that in this case, a politician would inf interfere and actually make this a political issue, which it was in the first place. Well, I would say, obviously, this is a controversial uh, topic, but it's a, it's, it's a legal question. It's not a political question, it's a legal question. So why not give the professional uh, the public prosecutor, the first say and the last say is up evidently in, in the courts. So I don't see the specifically political issue. There's another issue uh, in, in Berlin. Some months ago, the public was informed that obviously a public prosecutor in Berlin had or was suspicious of being sympathetic to far-right uh, people and therefore far-right politicians seemed to have the hope that he would not intervene against their activities. This was made public and the case was taken away from this public prosecutor. And I think there is now an investigation whether this is a personal problem of this prosecutor or whether this is a more widespread problem. And in that case, obviously, some kind of supervision is necessary. Okay, uh, Mr. Santos. Yes, uh, I would like to follow on the reasoning that Professor Gross just brought to us. It, it is not necessarily so that when you have uh, particular countries like Germany or France, where the prosecution is seen as uh, belonging to the executive, that you have less independence in the courts. And there is not necessarily the case that when you're supposedly to be independent, you are independent and you're performing your activities in the courts because there are many subtle ways to intervene in the court's activity. So the, uh, although I myself would prefer, like in my own country, that it is at the constitutional level, 
that you define the autonomy of the prosecution. And so there may not be any interference of the executive on the prosecution service. I do understand that uh, this might cause problems uh, like those that Professor Gross alluded to. But uh, you have to, for instance, take uh, into account the fact that when you bring a criminal case to court, I mean, if you're ordered to bring a case to court, there's already a kind of a type of interference. But if you decide not to allow a case to court, then it will be even worse. And that's where the problem of the independence of the prosecution really plays its role. So if you're not able to control this possibility of bringing the case to court, the judiciary cannot function and cannot proceed with the case. And so that's why the autonomy of the prosecution is important from that point of view. But uh, autonomy or independence of the prosecution cannot go without being hand in hand with accountability of the prosecution. The need to inform the public, the need to inform the parliament of the decisions of prosecution, the need to have clear written guidelines on the work of the prosecution, on establishing the type of uh, directions or provisions that you can order lower prosecutors to follow in the courts, and that, for instance, when it relates to a particular criminal case, that it should be in writing in that case, so that everybody knows what the order has been, then it, it's become much more transparent than this idea of a prosecution that might be too much independent and so be completely unreliable and impossible to control will just vanish. And uh, that's just the elements I think I would like to add to what uh, Professor Gross just mentioned a while ago. Right. Radosvita Vasilyeva. Uh, well, thank you very much. I just want to uh, reiterate my point that I agree uh, very much with uh, Mr. Santos Paish. I, I think that Bulgaria provides an illustration of what exactly he's talking about. An independent prosecutor's office could be very dangerous if there aren't any safeguards and checks and balances. And so this is what we've seen in Bulgaria. It's not the independence that's the problem, it's the lack of checks and balances. And it's also the lack of political will to carry out uh, basic reforms uh, related to ensuring ensuring such uh, checks and balances. Uh, one of the most well-known decisions against Bulgaria is Kolevi, and Bulgaria has been playing a cat and mouse game with the Council of Europe for 10 plus years, refusing to comply with it and introduce a mechanism of accountability. Meanwhile, we have many not one, several general prosecutors who have allegedly been implicated in crimes, including murder. So, uh, and this is what Kolev is about. It's about several murders. So it's, it's, it could be quite dangerous. And it is in this regard that I would like to mention one more thing related to the particular legal culture, including toxic legal cultures where uh, where uh, people without moral qualities could be promoted. And this is also highlighted by, by the problems we see in Bulgaria, because a priori, Mr. Geshev, who invaded the presidency uh, last year, was known for, for a bad record. And even his appointment last year caused mass protests because his work was known to civil society and he's responsible for violations of, uh, violations of uh, the con Constitution and the European Convention on Human Rights. Right. Uh, toxic legal culture, you mentioned. Um, uh, which do you think is is more more important or more more uh, vital in this respect? Um, is it the legal culture or is it the nuts and bolts of the, the institutional nuts and bolts of the system, or both? Or do how do they interact with each other? 
both of them are hugely important in my opinion. I think that uh, in our case, we see excessive powers uh, exercised by a person acting out of out of control borderline. So if, if you had a different person in charge, maybe he wouldn't rely on these excessive powers to begin with. But right now, nothing can contain him and, and his uh, allegedly legal behavior or uh, rather behavior that has been deemed anti-constitutional by leading experts at home cannot be corrected in any way because he's even elected for a period of seven years, which is a very long period uh, period of time. So I would say that both are important. Right. Professor Groß? Um, I see a certain problem in arguing with the legal culture in the context uh, of the rule of law. Obviously, I think our public prosecutor's office in, in Germany is working well, uh, but uh, there is a structural problem that it might be an instrument of politicians if politicians want to. But now even the, the European Court of, of Justice has argued that the rule of law requires that people have the feeling that the independence is required, uh, is, is respected in, in, in respect to, to Polish courts. So there is some kind of subjective aspect of guaranteeing independence and rule of law. But what if um, political uh, circumstances change in a country? And, and the, the problem is, don't, do we not need institutions trying to guarantee? No institution can guarantee that everything works well all the time, but helping to improve the quality uh, and to hinder problems um, which uh, might arise, although they are not present now. Mr. Santos Page. Well, um, I agree with the previous speakers in the sense that uh, the judicial system is just one part of the link, uh, not necessarily the missing link. I mean, you cannot have a, a judicial system outside the political system and outside the civil society organization as such. And so uh, the judicial system suffers the problems that any country suffers in the sense that judges and prosecutors are not working alone, but working within a certain environment. Now, one of the particular characteristics of nowadays uh, governments in certain European countries and also elsewhere, not just Europe, is the fact that you're normally, uh, before you were using probably force, uh, law enforcement agencies or bullets to improve uh, your position and to have the, the type of office that you were seeking for. But nowadays, you're particularly using the law to change the structure of society, changing the constitution, changing the statutes of both the judiciary and the public prosecution changing the statute of the judges in the sense, for instance, that you are asked to retire in a lower age than you would expect to be just in order to replace the highest courts with people that you could appoint. So in a sense, what you should be particularly attentive to is these subtle ways of making uh, structural changes without not giving the evidence that you're doing that. So this is can be very annoying, but I would like to point out that, for instance, um, 
not only international courts like the, the, uh, the European Court of Justice, but the European Court of Human Rights too, but other quasi-judicial bodies as the Human Rights Committee in Geneva are particularly attentive to the problems of the independence of the judicial branch, uh, judges and prosecutors, and normally are very pushing the governments to explain the decisions they have taken previous years in order to change their systems, to know, are they conducive to greater uh, checks and balances and independence of courts? Or on the contrary, are we pointing out to have submissive uh, courts and even more submissive prosecutors to the agenda of the governments? And I do think that this kind of international pressure or the fact that some of the countries have been facing uh, violation decisions by international courts can play a major role, at least to expose publicly, not only for the domestic sphere, but also for the international arena, that these governments are really held accountable by their peers or by the international uh, organization as such. And so they will have to come to terms with uh, the kind of structures they're trying to implement inside. Okay. Um, there has been recently, a, a year ago or so, there has been a verdict of the European Court of Justice with respect to the German prosecution system, um, which, according to the European of Justice, uh, was singled out as not being sufficiently independent to serve as, quote unquote, judicial authority with respect to issuing EU arrest warrants, right? Um, was this just a technical issue within the system of processing EU arrest warrants? Or does this really does this actually reveal deeper flaws within the German system, Professor Goss? I think it has uh, risen a, a fundamental question on the status of the public prosecutor's office in, in Germany, but it has not been discussed much in public opinion, and in practice, it's it's handled very smoothly because the relevant statute states that. Uh, a European arrest warrant can be issued by the prose public prosecutor or the courts. And the consequence is only that they have now to be issued always uh, by courts and no consequence has been taken uh, on the uh, to, to uh, change the uh, uh, status of, of public prosecutors. But what the European Court of Justice has said is that public prosecutors in Germany are not independent, are not seen as part of the judiciary, uh, and they have argued with some parallels to, to, to the court uh, system. So this is, I, I would say, a yellow card for the German uh, system. So would you say that actually um, this could be fixed only by basically having the, the the prosecutors enjoying the same degree of independence as judges do? Well, it, I don't think it must be necessarily the same degree uh, of independence. Uh, they can have a hierarchical structure inside the office of the public prosecutor, for example. This is not excluded by institutional independence. And there might be other mechanisms of, of supervision as for the courts, for example. But the, the basic problem is the, that instructions to handle individual criminal cases should be forbidden. 
Okay. So one way of seeing this uh, could be that actually, as you said, there, there has been very little public response to this um, ECJ judgment, considering the fact that after all, the German system has been deemed not having the necessary degree of independence, which one would think uh, would cause quite a stir in, in public opinion, but it didn't. So maybe this complacency of the German public can be explained by the fact that so far, by and large, with some hiccups there and then, uh, things went went okay and there's not a feeling of alarm. But on the other hand, if there were a feeling of alarm, if it actually happened, that people really got the impression that something goes profoundly wrong with in terms of uh, independent prosec prosecutors, the, the damage would already be done, right? So actually one could say Germany is in a sort of a or, or can feel safe only as long as it is safe, but there are no institutional safeguards. Well, this is a development we can learn from, from history uh, in many times that you need scandals uh, if you want uh, structural reforms. I don't think that it would be possible to, to change something which has been introduced or at least put into a legal uh, norm in 1877. Uh, just because there is one judgment of the European Court of Justice, the, I would say the large majority of, of German legal practitioners, judges and public prosecutors, of German legal scholars and also of, of journalists have the opinion that our judiciary, our legal system is perfect, almost perfect. So why should we change anything? Right. Mr. Santos Paish. Well, uh, this is a, a specific problem about the European arrest warrant, as far as I remember the decision. And the fact is whether the decision by the public prosecutor to issue that warrant would have the necessary guarantees of independence as if it were issued by a court. And that's the, the reason why the European Court of Justice uh, had looked into the issue and since in Germany the public prosecution is under the ministries of justice either of the of the federal government or of the lender uh, they would thought that they would not have the, re the, the necessary requirements of independence as a judge uh, but it, it can also come to the conclusion that other countries where the public prosecution has a kind of a constitutional uh, degree of independence from the government that it could issue uh, European arrest warrant. So it's more a question of safeguarding the guarantees of the person who's going to be subjected to this warrant than necessarily for the lack of independence of the, of the system of the prosecution as such. I must say that, for instance, uh, you have, I, I cited the case of France, where the prosecution is not independent. I could also cite the cases of Denmark or, or the Netherlands. But these are countries where you would not expect to find their judicial system to be at odds with independence. I mean, they are independent normally. And so it's indeed a question of uh, development of the structure of the government. And of course, if there is something that makes the change come quicker, uh, a scandal or, or something like that, then you might be able to come uh, to these changes more quickly than you would could uh, foresee. But for instance, in the Netherlands, 
it's absolutely forbidden for the Ministry of Justice to give instructions not to prosecute because of the sensitivity of this decision for the prosecution. So I would say that the fact that the, the for instance, if you have a hierarchical organization with a public prosecution, it's important for the consistency of the work of the prosecution, of the coherence of the activity of the prosecution, of, uh, at the end of the, of, of the scene, of the equality of all before the law. If you have this consistency, then you'll be able to maintain a kind of uniform approach to the problem. So it can be good, and sometimes it can be bad. It depends how you use it. And the fact that you are accountable and you have enough safeguards in place, it's uh, the best way to avoid this kind of misunderstandings. Right. Um, Rado Sveta, from a Bulgarian point of view, what would you, what would be your idea of fixing what's wrong in, in Bulgaria in terms of the system? What is missing institution-wise which would make a difference? Uh, well, there are quite a few things that could be done. And I here I would like to make a response to Professor Gross because he really made me realize the importance of context. And what he said is uh, hugely important. In Bulgaria, the prosecutor's office in its current shape was set up in 1974. So it's entirely a communist creation that never faced any substantive reforms. And so a lot of the problems we see are a direct result of communist reforms. In many ways, this prosecutor's office even overshadowed the courts and has the capacity to harass judges. And this capacity is embedded in the system as, as we see it. Um, and here, uh, I think that the three most important things to do, first of all, are to change the ultimate centralized structure of this institution, or at least to introduce checks and balances which don't exist at this very stage. So the senior prosecutors, especially the general prosecutor, does not bear any liability for his actions or omissions. And the Venice Commission has compared him to a monarch Uh, who, who doesn't bear neither political nor, nor legal liability. The next thing to do would be to change the setup and the composition of the Supreme Judicial Council, the body that is responsible for the election and promotion of all magistrates. Uh, there we see several paradoxing, uh, paradoxes, including the fact that the two most important judges in the country, the President of the Supreme Court of Cassation and the President of the Supreme Administrative Court, are elected by the will of the prosecutors and the so-called political quota. So their election doesn't even depend on judges, which, which leads to peculiar results. Um, also, the influence this centralized structure in the prosecutor's office is transferred onto the Supreme Judicial Council, where um, the general prosecutor is responsible for technically all reforms and promotions within the prosecutor's office, and he promotes people who are faithful to him. So there, there's no checks and balances in this regard either. And a third, a third important thing to do uh, to me is to uh, carry out some changes in our criminal law, because by, by virtue of our criminal law, this, uh, this institution has excessive powers. For instance, one could have the status of accused in perpetuity eternally. And so you could be accused, you could be deprived of rights, but then you don't have an indictment, so you don't defend yourself in court. And you could be in a very particular limbo. You could, you could be even held in custody for years. We have scandals like this. So uh, these are clearly excesses that should be corrected. Okay. Yeah, fingers crossed that this happens eventually. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, this was tremendously interesting, I think. Um, um, I really learned a lot, and I hope... Our listeners did as well. 
Um, yeah, thanks again for this. And um, next week we will talk about attorneys, the other side of the equation, if you will, um, who are equally under a lot, lot of duress uh, in many countries, most of all, I suppose, in, in Turkey at this very moment. We will have a number of distinguished guests, Margarete von Galen, Mikolai Pieczak, Josh Jorulmas and Jeremy McBride. I'm very much looking forward to talking to them. And I hope to see you back here at the We Need to Talk About the Rule of Law podcast. And have a nice week and enjoy the autumn and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.